were on the train to go to boot camp, you weren't thinking necessarily about all the risks. You just had to get to boot camp, and then you would know where to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, your mom gets TB. You just had to go to work, get the paycheck, and get it to her. It wasn't like you were lining up all these things in advance. You just took life. Yeah, you, know, you at, take life as it comes. Do you think there's more of a piece in that philosophy than in the planning, the ultra planning that's well, going on you, today? There's not the disappointments. You can go ahead to things can change so fast. Look at like when you fall in love. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, God, all of a sudden, nothing uh, bothers you but that little girl that's over there across <laughs> the street that you want to want to make your own. It's that way, you know. I mean, your life evolves around that. Uh, and it's more time. it's more concise. You're you're it's more focused on the focus now. On that. Seniors to seniors, whether a senior in college or senior in your mature years, the common denominators of every stage of life is explored as host Robert J. LaCosta interviews seniors about how they got to where they are and how they are continuing to crush it in their mature years. LaCosta is known as the senior editor because he has interviewed seniors for the past three decades and is perhaps the longest running writer in this narrowest of niches. This podcast affords him the opportunity to pass along the same sagely wisdom that he has received from elders and has admired during his 30s, 40s, 50s, and now. LaCosta is a board-certified hearing instrument specialist who has helped over 10,000 seniors overcome hearing impairment. He draws deeply from the intimacy and privilege of those relationships. And now... It's time for The Age Sage. And welcome to The Age Sage and part one of a two-part series with guest Bill Sharoon. Many people often wonder what the difference between the days of old, say the 1940s, are like compared to today's world. Well, on this episode, we're going to take a ride called Experience with guest Bill Sharoon as your guide. So let's dive right in with the senior editor and your host, Robert J. LaCosta. Well, thank you, Ken, and welcome to The Age Sage. And today we have with us 100-year-old Bill Sharoon, who has just celebrated that big milestone. Bill, welcome to the Age Sage. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Bill, everybody talks about the secrets of being 100 years old. Will you please tell everybody there's no particular secret? <laughs> no, there's no secret. Just the only thing you got to do is... Uh, Start looking for tomorrow. Never look back. Yeah, that's that's pretty good advice. Try to keep yourself uh, interested and and, uh, look forward to tomorrow all the while. Yeah. You know, what do you think tomorrow has in store for you? (laughs) (laughs) Good knows. I got my son coming over, and God knows what we'll we'll do. (laughs) There you go. So there's there's always something ahead, isn't there? There is, you know. Always something to look forward to or something. Uh, like I got a trip uh, with the railroad group going down in April, and we'll be going down over overnight trip down the Amish country. Oh wow! And then we're going out up to uh, up into Connecticut, 
some see some more railroad stuff and but <laughs> for for a guy to raced around this stuff all his life I don't know. you've been around railroads a bit i've forty three years of it and um and that would be on the uh no do you i started out with the new york central the penn central uh, uh conrail and amtrak what year did you first get your paycheck uh nineteen forty one Oh, okay. All right. Now, um, 1941 just happened to be a historic year. What happened, and what what do you remember? Well, I remember it was a Pearl Harbor there. We, I remember coming home, and uh, I come in the house, and my mother said, and I, mother's there with the radio. She's right up the radio, and I says, what, what's, what's wrong? She says, the Japs just bombed Pearl Harbor. I says, What? Yeah, she says, uh, Sandra, come here. She says, you place and you'll hear it. And I listen to the radio, yeah. And that was the first we got on that. How old were you? I was uh, 18 then. You were kind of drafting age. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did. Uh, I wanted to go then. Mom says, no, you're going to, you're going to stay home till next. You're going to have next summer here, and then you, then you can go. But she says, you're not going before that. And and could you do that at that time? You could choose. Well, I, no, I, I wasn't. Uh, if I'd have stayed, if I hadn't entered and enlisted, uh, if I waited for the draft, they never would have touched me. Oh, really? Because I worked for the railroad, and they were short of people on the railroad, so they wanted they wanted to keep everybody there that was on the railroad. Well, uh, do you remember a pitcher named Bob Feller? Yep. All. Yeah, uh, oh, yes. One of the greatest, right? Yeah, yeah, he was. I interviewed him one time, and he said to me, uh, I said, he, I think he he uh, enrolled, uh, he enlisted uh, December 8th, 1941. I said, would you ever think of not going because it would interrupt your career? He goes, we would never think of something like that. No, 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 no. Our group was a, it was a different thing. They did our country. Now it's time for us to go protect it that's it and i mean it just you just went oh there was a few i know there was a few that didn't think it was so great but uh you all went what what it, it, would would it be possible for that to happen today with our youth um i don't know i really don't know i mean is there a difference between say oh yeah when you when you were 18 what um, the way you formed thoughts and opinions and thought about the country, um, what would be a difference between you when you were 18 walking in and seeing your mom leaning toward the radio and an 18-year-old today? Probably an 18-year-old, he'd walk right by and wouldn't pay no attention to it. Why, why do you think that is? Because the way they are, they're just, they just know, uh, I don't know, they're... It's a whole different concept today. I mean, our our thing was we all as a group. Here, it's a more or less an individual. Now, it's it. You don't. My God, I wouldn't think if I if I earned five dollars, I wouldn't think of not turning it in to my mother to give it to my mother mm-hmm. for the house. Mm-hmm. Where 
You ask these kids today to go out and shovel a sidewalk. They want to know how much you're going to pay them. It is interesting to me that there seems to be a divide between young people, the millennials, the Zs, you know, the new generations, the TikTok generation, (laughs) all this. There does seem to be a divide between them and older people. But I don't like to just focus on the divide. I like to focus on the difference between, say, when you were younger or when I was young and a person being young today. In other words, what the divide is, that's immaterial. You know, people can look at each other from different generations and, you know, but what is the difference between the way an 18-year-old thinks today and back in the 1940s? First of all, I would never think of sassing my mother and my dad at all. First of all, I was brought up, you respect your elders, and uh, if I went down the street, I respect, uh, you didn't You didn't uh, uh, hurt somebody's property. We had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun in our day, but we didn't do things to destroy stuff. I don't know what, what, a, what joy a lad gets going down the street and punching the, the tires on everybody's car. Mm-hmm. Or just take a, go down and take a, a stone and start scratching up the side of the cars. What kind of a thrill is that? I, that's, that's destructiveness. And that's, and that's just the beginning. We see, unfortunately, we have cameras everywhere, and now we're seeing people beat up people in broad daylight. First of all, I mean, I think the problem is the parent is no longer in control. Who is? I, 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 Who is in control? What? First of all, I know we 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 can't hit hit hitting children is not the answer. Corporal punishment. Yeah. Corporal punishment. But God, a little little tap on the backside when you're about four or five or six. Boy, it makes a big difference when you get 10 and 12 and 13. I think what happens with a four-year-old is very simple. If if the relationship between the parent and the child is proper and loving, the four-year-old whole world is the mom or the dad. That's yeah, their yeah, whole yeah. world. They don't have a bigger world. No. So... A swat on the tush means displeasure. Well, you don't want to displease the one that loves you the most and that you love. Yeah, it, it's it's. I mean, it, you do. You don't have to hurt the child. It's just that you let them know that what they did is wrong. So that's called discipline. That to me is yeah. And that that yet you go out and do it today, and you have the police department on your neck and for. And you will maybe end up in jail before you're done. How did that happen? I, You've gotten to see a few decades of change. How how did that happen? It couldn't have happened suddenly. No, it, it, it started over with, uh, I say, a bunch bunch of people just to swap. They just, uh, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that. You can't do this as a child, you can't do that. I mean... It it just kept growing. Yep. And now, and how our children have no. Uh, 
have no 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 reason to be a, uh, I mean be afraid of the parent or anything. I wonder. You said some people started to say you can't do this and you can't do that. Um, when you were growing up, were there right and wrongs? Were there absolutes? Well, I'll tell you, we had to. If I did something wrong, my father heard about it. My father heard about it. In other words, uh, if he didn't get it from the neighbor, cop down on the corner knew. Or if I was playing with the wrong neighbor, with the wrong gang, or the wrong company, hey, stop my dad and say, hey, you better get Bill out of there, that group, he's, he's, with his trail, or he's going to get in trouble. So there were guardrails on um, your behavior, and there were guardrails on right and wrong, and it appears that the guardrails need to start in the family because the first person you just mentioned was if dad heard about it. Yeah. yeah. So the guardrail was the family. Yeah, my, my father never never hit me or that. But it was just the idea that uh, I didn't want to offend him or make do something that he was sort of be sorry I did. You know what I mean? Uh, I would be sorry too, but I get punished <laughs> in other ways, maybe... Maybe I get my bicycle taken away from me for for a week or so or something else. Yeah, don't take my wheels away. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> yeah. Now it's uh, don't take my computer game away from me. Yeah, I know it. Do you think um, anything will cycle? No pun intended. Back to some of the things that we enjoyed—the fresh air, bicycles, or. Were some of that lost on children forever because of the f- quick-paced technology and the organization of uh, soccer or ballet or gymnastics or lacrosse or whatever the thing is? Will there, will there ever be a little bit more space in the little guy or the little girl's lives to just I, go on a bike or explore or have two or three hours of free time just I, I don't know Bob but I know this much uh, when I was a kid if you had a bat or a ball or a glove you knew you were going to play baseball <laughs> yes. you were on that team period yes yeah or and uh, like uh, we play football that was just a sock filled with a with a couple of rags or, or leaves or whatever we had. And we'd, we'd go out, I think, uh, and we'd go, we'd go down to the park down and play follow the leader. Yeah. And uh, stuff like that. So I you didn't need those $150 sneakers that oh, are green, no. we couldn't afford I- them. iridescent, light up when you step down, like the kids, before they step on a soccer field, they have to... It's like a fashion show. We couldn't afford them, Bob. When I first went to work on the railroad, I made five dollars and sixty-four eight cents a day. Mm-hmm. That was my day's pay. Yeah. And if you made a job that was paying you twenty dollars a week, you had a good job. Yeah. And then you did have a job, though, with the railroad. You're eighteen years old, and you gave that up to go serve your country. Yeah. 
the after that summer, your mom said she's listening to that radio. She's very well aware of what this could mean to her son, yeah. life and death. Yeah. And she still allowed you as a young adult to make your own decision. But she did put some guidelines in there, not till after next summer. I'm not sure why. Maybe she just wanted to have you around. She wanted to have me there for the summer. That was it. And that was she, it. She could spend some time with you. Yeah. And you honored that. When did you enlist in wor- I, for World War II? I, I went in in November 42. November 42. And um, could you uh, recollect what was going on in the war in November 42? Anything you can particularly remember, like an impression, as you went off to boot camp? Not really, Bob. It just was a... Uh, we were all together going to boot camp. That was it on a train. Hurry up and get there. We got there by train. Yep. And uh, where was where was this? Uh, Chicago. We went up to uh, Chicago. Went there for boot training. Boot, boot, yeah. boot camp in Chicago. From where? From Albany. Albany. Yeah. And you were representative, really, of that World War Two generation. Just get on a train and get trained and then you're off yeah and what where you where, where what you where you were going or what you were going to do or where you would end up you, you had nobody no knows no nope. and did you have any thoughts like of fear or imagination of where you would go and maybe what you would do not really because we didn't have a too much of an idea what what was going to be to either you know what i mean you all of us were all the same. We, we were out of high school and that. I mean, so it wasn't, uh, well, what, what, what we do, we don't have any idea what uh, service is like. And, you know, that brings up another point. Some kids, from the time they're in kindergarten, their parents got their life planned. He's going to go to a Ivy League, or he's going to go to a prestigious school, or he's going to go to a reasonably priced uh, state school, and then he's going to do this, and then he's going to do that. Or at least if he goes to college, he's going to have the opportunity to do such and such, or some options will be open. It seems like you didn't have this view of the future, the, the way the parents are planning their kids' lives now. No, no. It was more... A day to day, month to month, or my my dad, he wasn't he was wouldn't have been able to put me through college. Yep. So you don't figure on college. Yep. And uh, so consequently, would we got a school to go to work. Uh, when I got out of out of service, I would love to went to college, but my mother had TB. Oh boy. And. The medicine that she had, Abbott Kosher's, you didn't have hospitalization like you have today with your work and stuff. It was all your own. And uh, the medicine she was on was all the latest stuff. So it was very expensive. And it took my check and my dad's to kind of keep things going. It's interesting because we're talking about some of the differences between one ear and another or one generation another you know one is like time and one is people okay and the object of most 
young people that I can kind of envision is to take risk out of life. And yet, you guys didn't really, like when you were on the train to go to boot camp, you weren't thinking necessarily about all the risks. You just had to get to boot camp, and then you would know where to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, your mom gets TB. Um, you just had to go to work, get the paycheck, and get it to her. Yeah. You, it, was, it wasn't like you were lining up all these things in advance. You just took life. Yeah, you at, take life as it comes. Was there... Do you think there's more of a piece in that philosophy than in the planning, the ultra planning that's well, going on you, today? There's not the disappointments. <laughs> that's interesting. Because, yeah. I mean... Uh, that's very profound, Bill. You can go ahead. To, things can change so fast. I mean, uh, look at uh, look at like when you fall in love. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, God, all of a sudden, nothing... nothing uh, Nothing uh, bothers you but that little girl that's over there across the street that you want to want to make your own. Well, you talk like you know what you're talking about, there, yeah. Bill. <laughs> but, I mean, it, 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 it's it's that way, you know. I mean, your life evolves around that, uh, and it's that more time. it's more concise. You're you're more, more focused on the focused now. Focused on that, yeah. So, what was this uh, little girl look like when you when you got back from the war? Well, she was a little redhead, <laughs> a very nice little girl. Like Charlie Brown's little girl. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, God. Well, I didn't meet my wife till after, till before, till after I was home for a while. Yeah, sure. Uh, and then uh, we, got, we got married when I was in the, during the Korean War. What, were the guys in uh, World War II thinking about girls all the time that helped get them through, like get back home and get, so, maybe get married or if they already had a girlfriend. Yeah. A lot of them did. And they were, they wrote regular and, uh, well, you know, when a guy got a dear John letter, Oh boy. Oh gosh. Yeah, they were terrible. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And that but, happened frequently because the girl didn't want to wait. Maybe. Well, the thing was, I never wanted to get serious because I didn't know how I was going to come home. Yeah, well, that's a mark of integrity, Bill. Uh, there's a lot of people that are listening to this podcast that are younger people because younger people tend to listen to podcasts than older people, and they might not even know what a Dear John letter is. <laughs> Dear John letter is one you get from your girlfriend that says she's no longer your friend, your girlfriend. That's, that's, that's it. That is heartbreaking. That, that, yeah, it is. That's it the is. stuff of a movie right there. Yeah. Um, what branch? Were you in? I was in the Navy. And uh, so were all my uncles. And uh, where were you? Oh, let's see. We Well, let's over. let's go from boot camp. From boot camp well, to where? Boot camp, I went to San Diego to gunnery school. Uh-huh. From San Diego, they sent me down to Florida for uh, fire prevention and damage control. And then they sent me back up to, to Norfolk. And it picked up, picked up the crew for the ship, and then we went to New Orleans, and uh, outfitted our sh the ship there. Our ship was built in Bay City, Michigan, and they floated it down to Mississippi and outfitted the rest of the way down into New Orleans. So it was brand new. Yeah, boy, they so, were they were putting out uh, oh planes and boats like no tomorrow. They put out five hundred sixty-three of those. DEs all together. What's a D? A D is a, that's a small destroyer. They're, uh, 
They were used uh, mostly for convoy work uh, and patrol work. So they were uh, more mobile than the big ships, and they could be in uh, several destroyers in a row. And could they also accompany a bigger ship? Or Well, first of all, they weren't fast enough to operate with the, with the fleet. In other words, our top speed was about 22 knots. Yeah, 22 knots is pretty close to 20 miles an hour, kind of. It's over that. It's yeah. over that. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's just that uh, uh, we couldn't operate with them. We were, we were great. We did, uh, we did a lot of convoy work, uh, a lot of— uh, What was the purpose of the convoy work? Well, it was to protect it from, from submarines. The Japs had a lot of submarines too. They did. They had a big uh, base up at uh, in tr- at the Truck Islands. That was their their home base for us for for their subs. And, uh, and they had a big base up there. And so you guys could take out a sub. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Were you ever on a boat that took out a sub? No, we thought we got one a couple of times, but it wasn't positive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. Um, a, a, a sub could take you out. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. So you're floating up there, well, and you were always wondering. Well, the only thing is, our draft was so shallow. Mm-hmm. In other words, we only about uh, about eight foot in the water, maybe a little more, hmm. uh, with, the, with the DE, where we could go ahead and uh, uh, if we were bobbing, it was awful hard to figure out where we're going to be with yeah. that time because you bob more than that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but uh, what they, the DEs were great. Oh, the DEs were great. Uh, when we first went into the war, uh, we had the old four, four stackers with destroyers, and they were coal or, or oil. And they could only go from here to Iceland. From Iceland over into, into New England, they were on their own. And the Germans just had a, a feast on our, our ships. Yeah, I, I remember so, reading. How many destroyers did they get? Would you it get? wasn't destroyers they got so much as it was they, want, they didn't want the destroyer. They wanted that cargo ship. They want the cargo ships, and if they could get accidentally a civilian ship, that would be cool too. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, that's like uh, the older form of terrorism. You know, yep, you get yep. you get innocent people, and then everybody's scared. Yep. Um, yeah. The memory of um, first getting onto that brand new ship that floated down from Michigan that would have been 1943. Yeah, yeah. What do you remember? What time of year? It was in the uh, yeah. It was in the fall. It would have been more or less the summertime. We started out there, and we went down to uh, we went on a shakedown to Bermuda, mm-hmm. and then we came out of Bermuda, and then we went up into Boston. Mm-hmm. So it was it was right around in between late summer and early fall of forty three. Yeah, and uh, where did you go after Boston? We went, uh, we went down through the canal out in the Pacific. We went and stopped at Bora Bora. And then we went into, we picked up the 7th Fleet at, at Truck. They were uh, 
uh, doing operations there with the, on, a, on the submarines, pens, and so forth. So they pulled us in, and we operated with them for a week or so, and then then we pulled off from them, and then we went on down to uh, into Bougainville. Mm-hmm. Went down there to. to where, where's that? I'm not. That that's uh, close to Australia. Uh huh. It's down that southern end now. Yeah. Uh, did did everybody's blood pressure go up a little bit as you get further and further out to the Pacific Fleet? Nah, I don't know because it's all it's all new and it's everything is new. Yeah, you're just uh, and you're still 19 or 20 yeah. years old. You're still a kid, yeah. you know. <laughs> I'll tell you, I think about one of the scariest nights I remember. We were what we call a slot. That was what they run up from Bougainville up through the, to New Guinea. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had the islands in there, and uh, we're patrolling in there. And it's a night that you would you would. It would have been ideal if it was a movie. Yeah. <laughs> it was raining, all raining. And uh, GQ goes down, general quarters. We come up and the captain comes over the radio and he says, we've picked up a large ship. We don't know what it is. He says, we're preparing for a torpedo run. Well, a torpedo run, when you will, you, you go in straight. But when you make that turn, you're broadside. Oh. Man, that's the end of you as far as that's concerned. That's a big target. That's a big target. And uh, so we, we started, but luckily it turned out to be one of ours. And we oh. all, oh. Uh, radar is not what it is today. <laughs> oh, no. Radar was only good for about 20 miles. Yeah. And even at that, you, you didn't know you didn't, you didn't precisely. Know it, they had to have the identification on, and uh, sometimes it didn't come over too strong. Yeah. 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 So the, uh, people don't realize that you're you kind of know. flying in the dark, no. you know? You know, you just don't know. You never know what you're, what you're going to hit from one next to another. So as you, as you got to, uh, you're kind of skirting that kind of Iwo Jima and all that area out there. What what happened in uh, 44 and well, we were up. We were up at. Uh, we were in at uh, Guam. They put us up at Guam. Yep. It was last place, and there we stayed in on patrol because they had the big uh, uh, repair facilities there at Guam. Yeah, so, that which would have been a target for the so, Japanese. Yeah, yeah. So we were we were there. We put two of us on patrol there all the while. It's yeah. amazing when you talk, Bill, that. Uh, a lot of people who grew up in the 60s and 70s, there was still an awful lot of um, World War II films, and yeah. you get into the action. But what a lot of people don't realize about the armed services is there's so much support facilities and jobs that support our ability to do the big action things, which Guam, as a repair, and, and it's... A oh, yeah. unique position in the Pacific, that yeah, would be got, a prime target. You've got all that through. I mean, you've got uh, so many different uh, people working. My God, the fellows that uh, were on station on these islands, they never never got this off the island, never seen. 
They were there for the whole oil, for the whole war. Yeah, and that circles back to what you were saying about maybe the difference between today and yesteryear, one being more individualistic, our 21st century with phones that we can just kind of zone out on. We can just be individual. And the unity that you were talking about, uh, one for all, all for one kind of thing back in the 40s. Boy, is that a big, big Big divide. It is a big divide. I don't know what 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 happened. Uh, I don't know how it happened. It's a shame it happened. I mean, uh, we had blacks on the ship. Mm-hmm. Hey, I would say ninety nine percent of us on that ship. We thought those blacks were just uh, just a, a shipmate, just as much as anybody else was. Yep. And uh, we used to kid and have a lot of fun. And that, yeah, we'd get them, get them down there, get them in a poker game or, yeah. <laughs> or well, that. And, and, I mean, on Liberty, you, you didn't uh, you didn't think anything about what the heck. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, there was a, a looseness to when you grew up and when I grew up that you could tease about differences. Like uh, me being an Italian, uh, how do you stop an Italian from talking? Yeah. Tie his hands behind his back. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing, if it got mean, obviously, and there were plenty of that for the African-Americans and and the and some of the other ethnic groups, and the Italians were part of that, believe it or oh, not. Yeah. But a lot of people don't realize how um, distasteful Italians were to a lot of Americans. <laughs> they just were back then. I know then. it. I mean... It, it's true. I think about any any nationality who came over here. Mm-hmm. They had a they had tough going when they come here. Yep. The Irish, they, God, they had tough going. They were looked down upon. And you had the Germans. They come in. Mm-hmm. And they had very. They had tough going. Yep. You and then to, and then the World War One, World War Two, the association uh, with uh, Japanese, oh, um, oh, yeah. Italians, Germans, uh, anybody who was. With the Axis and the Allies, you know, um, uh, uh, the conflict there, uh, then they were looked down upon. Uh, the Japanese are well documented what, what happened to them. So, yeah, it's interesting that on the, on a ship, like on a ball team, uh, it's, it is one for all, all for one. you gotta, yeah. you got to yeah. play together. you got to play together. If you don't play together, the team is no good. But, you know, Bill, you have a unique perspective that most people do not have, and that is you have 10 decades to, to kind of uh, view this um, chasm or change, I should say change that has happened. Most things do not happen overnight. Now, Pearl Harbor happened overnight, yeah. but um, not a lot of things in terms of philosophy – in terms of absolutes versus relativism, uh, you know, just different ways of thinking. Usually that does not happen overnight. I don't know what's happened, and you've already admitted you don't know what's happened, but you know that you see a difference. Well, first of all, we, the children children today, They uh, don't have the opportunity that I had. I had a paper route. Me too. Yep. 
We worked the paper out. We knew what it was, how much it was to make a make a dollar. Boy, we worked to get that. Dollar. You separated those pennies and the and tips. It's up, it's up, boy. <laughs> and your paper bill, you had to go down. Yeah. And if you got somebody that uh, didn't pay their bill, you were stuck with it. Not the company, but you yourself were stuck. With Again, here we get to price. risk. This yep. is a risk, and you had that. And then also, uh, uh, like for all of us, I know up in my neighborhood, I was going up with the paper out, that money all went into the house. Yes. It didn't yep. go in my pocket. I'd get a nickel for, I'd get a nickel once in a while we, if I went down and didn't, didn't ride the, didn't ride the, the, the streetcar down to school, uh, I have that couple of cents in my pocket, we go get a, get a donut. Bill, you know what's interesting? A recent trip to Kingston, New York, which mo- most people don't know about, but uh, people in New York area might know about it. it, was New York State's first capital, and it has a trolley museum, and it has a beautiful restaurant down there that has been transformed from a uh, uh, a ship uh, repair, mostly tugboat repair place. And you look at it, it's gorgeous. And we get these sentimental vibes from the trolley museum or from the old boat house yeah. and this kind of stuff. But now just walk into the trolley museum, pay a few bucks and see, oh, isn't that cute? Isn't that nice? Yeah, yeah. Yesteryear. Oh, this is where they furnish the boats. Now, please give me my prime rib. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's so much, it is easier it, now, yeah. and it might be a tough pill for some people to swallow, but life is easier now. It's easier. I mean, uh, God, I remember my mother, God, we got wash day, holy God. The big tubs on the stove, full of water, and you took the the fell snap of soap and you cut that up and put that in there and paddles and you'd be working the stuff on it was on the stove with the paddles to try to get, get a stain get, out, get the stains and what else out. Then you go ahead and then you had to carry it over and put it in the rinse water and wring it all out by hand with a hand wringer. You know, Bill, you're describing something that takes a lot of effort. It is. It's a lot it's, of work. It's ma- and it's manual. Yeah. And it w- usually if something takes effort and it's manual, it takes time. And it's very interesting for me as your junior, <laughs> you're my senior, um, to think about the concept of you didn't have time to think about some of the dumb things that people have time for now. They have literally hours to go on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and view kind of nonsensical, immaterial things. They have time to do this, and I don't know what that does with a head when there's too much empty time in your schedule versus chores. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, in those days... like you went up and you had, you, got, you had to go up to the ice ice uh, house to get ice. You get the chunk of ice and bring it down in your cart for the for the ice box. Yeah, yeah, and uh, things like that. I and mean, we have plenty of ice houses along the Hudson yeah, River up uh, here in upstate I mean, New York. <laughs> I was born up in Syracuse. Yeah, and uh, but I mean it was a uh, and wintertime. Hey, a foot of snow didn't mean nothing. 
You went to school. You yep. went to school. Didn't make no difference how cold cold it was or what it was. Why would, besides the bus routes and insurance, why would they cancel school so much and and work it in that you have twelve? Well, snow days. Why, how has life gotten so risk free? The first thing was when they took, centralized the schools. They took the power away from you and I. Hmm, that's interesting. Before that, I knew who was on the school board. Hmm, and I could go down and say, "Hey, Bob, uh, that stop you got up there for." Those kids, that's not a very good spot. Uh, they come around that corner a little fast. Could you get it down a little bit and bring it down maybe about 500 feet from where they are? A bus stop? Yeah. Okay. And, and, and to have them pick them up there. So uh, control. Uh, so it, My control was there. I could talk to them. Now, now, now you call them up. Oh, I got to think of the whole district. I can't just think about you. Yeah, I imagine... As you lose control, power goes right up the ladder to, say, a superintendent or a school board or a principal. There might be some unilateral I, kind I of... It. Yeah, I remember they were putting the, putting the Ravina school in. They were boating on that. And uh, I happened to be in a hallway around from the water park on the other side, of it, just around the corner. This lad from the education department is talking to a teacher. And he said, if they don't approve it this time, he says, we'll put it up without the furniture. Well, say that again? What do, mean, what do you mean by that? In other words, the school budget had been voted down before. In other words, and they put it up again and put it down. He says, if it, gets, if it doesn't go through this time, he says, we'll put it up without any furniture. So they were going to do it no matter they what. They were going to get that Central's Eye school in there no matter what. That's the only way your politicians could get in there. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine um, we we have seen that in elections um, where school boards and what uh, curricula or, um, you know, I guess parents just wanting to retrieve the control. Do you think um, – that control, uh, I mean, we see all the time, Bill, we see farm-to-table restaurants. Yeah. That's that's big right now. Support yeah. local businesses yeah. and all this kind of thing. It was fantastic. But do you think we'll also someday see the return of control of children to their parents? Or is that gone forever? Well, first of all, I, I would like to say this. When we... When we when we centralized the schools, I remember I was in uh, Ravina Queeman School. Which is south of Albany, New yeah. York. And uh, Deezer Roth was the principal. And I had to go over there to see him about something. And he called in, and I think uh, Queeman's Hollow had just come into the school. They were centralized school. Mm -hmm. And, oh, he was so happy. And I turned to him, and I says, uh, well, he says, "What, what, what course you, what new course you going to put in?" He almost threw me out of the office. Why? 
Because that was unheard of. They weren't going to put no new no courses in. Just what they had. No new courses. Like, no, that cost money. Oh, so I don't I don't know what the reason was, but I mean, uh, I thought well maybe they put in a home economics class or a typing class, something that they didn't have. I mean, didn't require uh, a lot of extra expense. Exactly. But what would be it uh, would help uh, people or the children, anyways. But you know, uh, right now we used to recite the the Virgil uh, leads every day. Yeah. We sang the stars. We sang the, the, the Star Spangled Banner. Mm-hmm. Uh, at all our meetings, uh, we did. Uh, you did. I don't know. You have, you didn't dare sass the teacher back. No sass in that teacher. Oh no, no. She was a she's a boss. That's it. Mm-hmm. You good. And I I don't know. It's it's just it's just got out of hand altogether. Do you remember? Again, getting back to your 10 decades of life here, do you remember milestones along the way where America or maybe the world took some turns that have contributed to where we are today? I don't know. I don't know. It was around Dr. Spock's time with his books. That would have been, uh, I think, the 50s and the 60s, right? Yeah. And he started this... uh, Oh, you don't. No, no discipline. You don't do this to a child. You just talk to them. It's all this stuff. It doesn't work. Where, where in the world did? It how, work. how did parents get snookered by people who all of a sudden said something that has worked for six thousand years or whatever <laughs> through yeah, every civilization? Uh, you know, parenting, a little tap on the butt, uh, a, a discipline, uh, punishment. You know, go to your room. Uh, no bicycle. How how did how did parents get snookered by these guys uh, saying, "Oh, that's old fashioned, so you can let the kid just do what he wants"? And then let me put it this way: they put in a lot of pictures of children battered and what else? Ah, they put run them out. Got all the sympathy for the children. So they took the I mean, exceptions to the rule. They took the exceptions to the and rule. And made that the yeah. the main um, yeah. norm. Just, just just like if you uh, go out here and you go, you could see it with your all your things that uh, are, look, are donations. Look for donations. What do they show you? They show you the... the a sad picture. The saddest picture they could find. So you think they? You think parents got snookered because they somebody like a Spock or whatever said, "Okay, all the things that you've been taught for hundreds and thousands of years—that's all wrong." Now I've got the real truth. Yeah, here it is. I don't it, know, but they took Doctor Spock at his, his. I don't know how he got that powerful but he did you know that reminds me of that era television just came in yeah so television is a very powerful medium it's very difficult for young people to understand just how powerful um, early radio and early television was but television was not just a service that you got it was also new so it was exciting 
Yeah, so but- if, pe- if people went out and got televisions, now all of a sudden you got television and you have this tremendous power behind the television. Uh, a person could put Dr. Spock on their television show and now millions of people were hearing him simultaneously yeah. and he had the power or the authority of television. That means he had a platform and, the, oh, if he's got oh, the there. platform, it must be true. Yeah, yeah. Now... The thing also, the programming. At first, you had like Howdy Doody. You had uh, Jack Armstrong, the All American Boy, bringing up Father. Uh, those type of shows, family shows, they were not some kid knowing more than the father or knowing more than anybody else. He, the father, more or less. The figure, he was the one that knew the best. Mm-hmm. I mean, they taught, uh, like even with the Fonz, when he was in there, in other words, Happy Days. Mm-hmm. There was no nobody sassing their father or giving him a hard time. And that was only 40 years ago or 50 yeah. years ago, I think. Yeah, I the mean, Fonz is a, a Happy you, Days is a show, for those who don't know. <laughs> you walk in... Now you'll go to the store, and some kids say, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Father says, uh, go over and get this. No, get it yourself. Yeah. I mean, that that it, I, I mean, is wrong. It, it is. Or, or to go out and tell the son, hey, son, go out and shovel the sidewalk. Well, how much are you going to pay me? <laughs> You don't realize he's getting... And then his- back then, the father would say, uh, well, then, how much do you want me to charge you for your room and board? He would say, do that- you want to eat this week? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Put some value added yeah, to yeah. the argument. You know, Bill, what you're describing is almost as if the balance, and I won't say power, because power does come with authority, but the balance of authority has shifted from the people who are older, to now the people that are younger. So we almost, it would almost seem like uh, we've all heard of revolutions in China and Russia and Mexico back in the 20th century. This is a revolution of, of youth. Yeah, yeah. Almost. But you know something, here's another thing. You notice that, like the state, they had to lower the standards of their exams, Hmm. Because they weren't getting enough that could pass it. When was this? Oh, this was in the. Oh, let's see. That'd be in the. In the seventies. That's fifty years ago. Yeah, they started. Your colleges did the same thing. They lowered their standards so they could get more in. Yeah. And their standards that they have that they graduate from are not. You take your have your. Have your child or your college graduate look at an eighth grade that was around, uh, say, uh, 1920 or before, and see if he can pass it. A college today. He probably could because he was brought up in the classics. He had to read, write, r- arithmetic. Well, he had I a... mean, I that, but boy, what they, were, what they had, they had, oh, they had a lot to learn. In yeah. They say didn't, they just... It was a lot there. I I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and I grew up with a um, 
Catholic education in um, New Jersey, and the nuns were pretty particular, yeah. fastidious. Uh, you had to get everything done, and yeah. you had to learn it. You had to master it. Yeah. And that was basically the way of life. And I wonder if that's really what's going on today um, in the good school. You know, oh, obviously perfect. schools are ranked, and yeah. the schools that are ranked usually put out kids that go to prestigious colleges, so they must be learning something. But what are they learning? First of all, let me put it this way. You write a composition. You don't know how to spell. You go to spell. There's yeah. the word up there for you. Now I put it in. I don't have to learn how to spell. You're talking of computers and spell checks, yeah. of course. Yeah. Uh, the same with how many... How many know how to write a business letter today? Yeah, I mean, I guess not, I guess if I was a young person, I would just uh, how postulate you, that I don't need to spell because it's all taken care of, yeah, and in the yeah. end, it, in the end, it gets done. And, it's, uh, and I don't need to really know my multiplication tables because in the end, it gets done. I don't really need cursive writing because everything is done by keyboards and text and voice. So voice recognition and artificial intelligence have replaced the need for those skills, but now we're going to learn skills that will be above that. The but question... Artie, that's the next thing. See, the thing that I get, get at, I mean, like, uh, let's say, like here, you go to the store. If, if that cash register is down... They don't know how to add that. Lead. You're you're just up. Yep. And if you go ahead, you see it yourself. You give them some, and you say, uh, "Well, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, <laughs> the bill is seven dollars." Uh, <laughs> I uh, know where you're going. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you two fives. You give me three back. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I see the blank stares uh, at the young I mean, people it's, trying it's, to make change. It's, Thirty-six cents? No, it's forty-three cents. Oh, oh, oh! You're right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but they it just don't. They just do not know it. Yeah. And the same thing with writing. Now, I mean, they don't. Uh, they print. They don't write. Well, as you heard on this episode, there are certainly differences between the so-called days of old and today's world, and we're gonna pause right there. And Robert J. LaCosta, your host and the senior editor, is going to pick it up again with guest Bill Sharoon on the next episode. So until next time, thank you so much for tuning in. And we'll catch you next time right here on The Age Sage.